Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Both Laugh, the Dying Scene Quarantine Chat Show. I, as always, am your host, Jay Stone, and we're up to episode 56, uh, going on the two-year anniversary of this uh, little experiment. <laughs> Didn't think it would go on this long, but uh, I'm glad it has. Um, obviously, a lot of things pending on the actual website front. Uh, some of you know, some of you don't. We're actually rebuilding. Hopefully, we'll have more news from that soon. But if you want to be involved in helping to steer the direction of Dying Scene going forward, uh, follow us on social media. Drop us a line, whether on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, I think we're still on Facebook, if anybody's still on Facebook these days. Or just email me, jay at dyingscene.com. Uh, and uh, we'll bring you on board. We'll chat. Um, anyway, that brings us to episode 56. Uh, for the first time in quite a while, we're joined by a full band. I know last year we had uh, all four members, uh, then at the time, the four members of Kalimasi, one of my favorite bands. Uh, they all joined us for an episode probably last April around the release of their last album, uh, which is still amazing and which I have still yet to see them live because of stupid COVID. Uh, but today we're joined by another full band. This band is proper. They are a three-piece uh, you may remember from when they were called The Great White. Um, they put out an album probably 2017, I think. Uh, it was um, it was actually reviewed on Dying Scene. If you check the uh, ashes of what is Dying Scene at this point and search for The Great White, White spelled W-I-G-H-T, uh, there is an album review and I think an email exchange with um, Eric, the front person for the group, uh, we, I don't know who did the interview and I don't know who did the review because one of the things that we lost when the site crashed is uh, the ability to figure out who wrote what story. So props to whoever actually uh, wrote the review. It was very good and did the email interview. It was also very good, but we finally, um, the band has renamed themselves to proper. They put out a new album in 2019. Um, which is called I Spent the Winter Writing Songs About Getting Better. It is phenomenal. And I remember the first time I heard it thinking, oh, my God, how have I never heard this band before? And how have I never heard anything like this before? Uh, and, and, and so it sort of blew me away. Um, let me tell you that the Great American Novel, which is their brand new album, which comes out uh, digitally, at least on March 25th, which is next week, and then physically next month on um, Father Daughter Records here in the States. The new album is amazing. It will melt your face off. Uh, it, there are so many different layers and textures and tempo speeds, and the lyrics are very real and honest, as you would imagine, from what I guess we're calling like a fifth wave emo band. I hate labels and saying something like fifth wave emo sounds, uh, I don't know, corny. Uh, but maybe I think the Genre is in on the joke at this point. So that's the whole thing. But anyway, uh, the album is called The Great American Novel. There are a couple of videos that you can watch. Uh, Red, White, and Blue is out there. Uh, Huerta is out there. Milk and Honey is out there. They are phenomenal. And they give a good little taste of what's to come from this album. But let me tell you, there are there are some moments on this album that uh, that that might rattle around your brain a little bit. They're, they're phenomenal. Um, anyway, so we got... The whole band together over Zoom, uh, Eric and Eli and Natasha, uh, we talked about an awful lot of things from uh, the gatekeeping that 
sort of middle-aged white guys like myself do in this scene sometimes for better or for worse. We talk about how the um, George Floyd murder a couple of years back hopefully helped change things and put things in a different perspective. We talked about, uh, we talked about musical upbringings. We talked about the scene in El Paso uh, in the last 20 years. We talked about prog rock. We talked about the Ducky Boys uh, to throw a local Boston area reference in. And I think that's sort of what happens when you have people from uh, all over the country that get together in Brooklyn with all of their different influences. And even though it's only a three-piece band, um, their influences are pretty far ranging. Uh, Eric's got an interesting backstory. Eli's got an interesting backstory. Natasha's got an interesting backstory. And they all sort of came together in, in New York City and formed this phenomenal band that is unlike most bands that I've ever heard. So uh, without any further ado, here are Eli and Eric and Natasha from Proper. It is episode 56 of Both Laugh, the Dying Scene Quarantine Chat Show. And it starts right now. Got it. Okay. Yeah, everybody hears that, right? When it says recording in progress. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah, then a little <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. it is a little, a little bizarre. And uh, God bless Zoom. Welcome, everybody, <laughs> to another episode of Both Laugh, the Dying Scene Quarantine Chat Show. Uh, it is the 56th installment of this show for some reason. Uh, but today is a special one because I think out of those 56 episodes, as I was just saying before we uh, hit record, it's only the second time we've had a full band on the show. Uh, and I'm really excited for this one because, uh, well, we'll I'll explain why after. Joining us this time are Eric and Eli and Natasha from the band Proper. They've got a new album out this spring on Father Daughter Records, and it's called The Great American Novel. And it will absolutely melt your face off. Uh, gang, <laughs> welcome and thanks for doing this. This is really cool. Hello, thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, nice. thanks for having us. Yeah, I um, proper is a band. I was admittedly late to the game, and I remember listening uh, to. I spent the winter. I forget how it even ended up in my lap. And I remember mm. listening to it the first time and going, "How have I not heard this band? And how are they not the best, <laughs> band, the biggest band ever?" Because it was unlike anything that I had really ever heard before. It was like oh. all of the sort of. Uh, uh, influences all melded into something completely new and different. And so the fact that you, there's another album coming out and it's even bigger and better than the last one is, uh, is pretty awesome. <laughs> thank you. God, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So the way that I start a lot of these shows off, it's called the quarantine. Well, it's called both laugh, uh, but it's called the quarantine chat show specifically because a, because Dying Scene as a website uh, shat the bed like two and a half years ago at this point, uh, and for a variety of reasons, has yet to be rebuilt, although it is actively being rebuilt now. I can officially say that, like we've spent thousands of dollars and are rebuilding a website officially. Um, but we had no, I mean, there were no shows to take pictures at, and so there was no place to, um, to do that sort of thing or to interview bands anymore. I said, well, I'm a white guy with a beard i should start a podcast <laughs> <laughs> and now Love we all idea. we all have them let's yeah. i was i was the last one uh, but, but we all have them now um mm -hmm. and so one of the things i wanted to do though was to keep in tab uh, keep in touch with people who especially real time because it was just about two years ago that this show started and figuring out what people were doing to sort of stay connected and stay creative and what they were what sort of plans they had to cancel, et cetera, et cetera. So 
I do think even though it's two years down the road, it's still sort of interesting to think back to that that two years ago now, what did what did proper have on the radar for 2020 and how far out were you guys booked? And then you had to sort of <laughs> scrap well, everything and, and shift. Are we like they had a lot much. of talk about all this stuff? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I mean, some of it may still come to fruition, I guess. Yeah. Like um, Monday years came to fruition. Yeah. That was definitely pre COVID. I think, yeah. um, or I'd met Dan at one year show in, like at, in 2019 and we were supposed to do the tour originally was just us without one years. Uh, but Dan manages future teens and we kind of finagle it into something better, but we definitely had that was supposed to happen. UK and Europe, which is now two entire years later. Um, I feel like that's only really on the books. And then we were talking about South Africa. Uh, we found this point person down there who he was down, he gave us a route. And I feel like that's really all we had. Right. Yeah. <laughs> At least that was yeah that had that's been all that publicized. Publicized. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure we were supposed to. Yeah, I'm sure we were supposed to do something in America and Canada, but I don't think we. Oh, Pusa Fest, but I don't think we'd gotten to really like. We had just finished a full U.S. run, so I think we were just kind of like, okay, let's chill on that for a minute. I feel like Pusa Fest was the first thing for a lot of people that was sort of canceled and made them realize that, oh, shit, this is going to actually go on for a while. I think yeah. like South by when was South by it was like end of March or beginning of April. And when they canceled mm-hmm. and then when Pusa canceled, it was like, oh, shit, this stuff isn't coming back for a while. It's not just like that two weeks that we kind of hoped it was going to be yeah. at the very beginning. Funny. Like lock yourself <laughs> in for two weeks, wash your hands, wipe down your groceries and then we'll be good. Uh, yeah <laughs> and, and then once shit in may like puza started getting canceled it was like oh this isn't go this isn't good <laughs> yeah i think we we're supposed to do the uk tour europe tour and then straight to puza so it was kind of in that order that we we're just like oh that sucks i guess we'll do it in a couple months and then a couple months never came <laughs> i do remember now that you say that the south africa thing i remember maybe on twitter or something like that mm-hmm. mentioning that you guys were looking at doing south africa that i feel like that's a thing that nobody from uh this neck of the woods does how did that even come up Uh, although i should say the guy that started dying scene 12 or 15 years ago whatever it was at this point it all blends together he actually lives in south africa now so i'm sure he would yeah he moved from brooklyn to south africa which is a big move move. yeah (laughs) yeah uh for a variety of reasons uh hi hi dave if you're listening but i'm sure he will (laughs) certainly go out uh, and check you guys out if, yeah. if you do make it that far. But how did that even pop up on the radar? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our point person was through Big Scary Monsters, Connor. So I think just as usual, I was just like whining to the labels about wanting to, wanting to tour more diverse places probably. And then they're like, well, I know someone here. And I think that was kind of the gist of it, right? Like, you know, we're always just like, let's like immediately try and do like Africa and Japan and like places yeah. where black and brown people are. Yeah, that's yeah. how hard that is to actually make happen. But this one actually, he was like, well, I know someone you want me to ask. And then I think it just snowballed from there into like, oh, shit, we could actually do this. Are we going to do this? And then it just didn't happen. <laughs> COVID. Yeah. Was it? I mean, I would assume that it's not just a one or two off if you go to a place like South Africa, except that I know so little about the South African market that I don't know what a tour would look like there yeah it, how many markets are there to play i think it was like a week right wow um a week or so like, i think a week to 10 days yeah like 10 days 10 days yeah 
because initially we were trying to do like North Africa, like just go straight down from Europe into Italy and Spain and then do a North African run. But I just couldn't find any anyone at all. It was impossible. So we're like, all right, let's try a different part of the continent. But yeah, it was going to be about a week, 10 days, I think. Is that a thing that fingers crossed still happens someday? <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if y'all are down, I'm still very much down to give it a shot. (laughs) I'm more so down now. I was a little scared last time, but (laughs) yeah. Does it feel like now, especially because two years have gone by, it's like, yeah, we'll go wherever. Pretty much. (laughs) The the cabin fever thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Just, you know, nowhere, Indiana. Sure. Let's do it. (laughs) Just ready to get out there. How long was the actual time, the downtime between shows between uh, when you came off the road at the beginning of 2020 to actually playing again? Oh, God. Our first Uh, show back was October 10th, 2021. Where? Um, (laughs) The outside festival that we played in Kingston. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kingston. Um, Hopeless. Oh, Oh, positive. Oh, positive. positive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, up in, yeah, upstate New York. Because um, before that, we had done a thing for Babies All Right, where we just played, like, a live, pretty much a live session to a live, like, audience on their phones or whatever. But, yeah, I guess, so, what was that, a year? Oh, so, a year and change. a half anyway, yeah. 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 We waited. Yeah, <laughs> O-plus Fest. Summer, yeah, and then we not. did a tour a month later in November, and that was, like, the first, like, you know, shows in a row type thing. But, yeah, October of last year. How was it actually being back out on the road after so much downtime? <clears throat> Is there a part of it that felt weird being back out after that long? Or did that sort of like go away pretty quickly? Like muscle memory. And once you start playing. Uh, I, I felt pretty weird the whole time. I don't know. What about y'all? <laughs> like the weirdest did it go away for me. I, I don't know. Um, I remember being terrified to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but then. I guess we got really lucky because there was a lull in all the variants and it was weird. I don't know. The glass speech one was okay, but the one year, one year's one was even weirder because it was like, we're all together, but we can't really talk to each other, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, you know, mask in the green room, things of that nature. I was going to say, did you have to do the whole pod thing? Like keep yourselves sort of separate and, that's Pretty a, much. That's yeah. a wild way to tour. Yeah. I mean, it's better than not touring, I'm sure, but that's a wild way to tour. Yeah. Just like, you know, the fear of getting sick and like touring with a band where some of them have children. Like that was a pretty new thing for me, at least. I don't think we are doing any tours with anyone that has kids, right? No, the Wonder Years was the first one. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, yeah, like they had their rooms. We had our rooms. And like, you know, we would like eat some food sometimes together, but definitely it was just like masks on the whole time. Uh, we're like completely isolated, but yeah, it's just the weirdness and like the fear of like, all right, now we're playing for like 1200 people and we're still at the merch table. Like, yeah, yeah, go yeah. Wrong. you know, I, I, I had that fear every, every night on both tours. It was just doesn't really go away. Were crowds masked up? Cause I know I having talked to enough people, I live in the greater Boston area and, mm-hmm. and we've had sort of a mix of shows. There are some shows where, most people are wearing masks and there are some shows where absolutely nobody is, but having talked to a few people that have been lucky enough to tour, 
the last, I don't know, couple of months of last year, it seems like there are definitely places where everybody is into it. And then Florida exists as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like, and people not, not just Florida, not just to yeah. shit on Florida, but oh, it's okay. My dad's but, in there. I'm I'm allowed to shit on. Florida. Fair enough. Florida <laughs> actually wasn't that bad. Jacksonville. Yeah, I was about to say the the irony is that the, it was Jacksonville, right? Jacksonville. Uh, yeah, Jacksonville at the architect. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, granted, uh, it was like a thing where the the main band Glass Beach was just very adamant about yeah. um, enforcing the mask. Um, at least at the very least encouraging it strongly yeah, encouraging yeah. it and i mean mm-hmm. I, I guess that was the main difference is that the that first tour was younger like it was all mm-hmm. ages but primarily like teens kids mm-hmm. wonder years was like definitely more like older adults yeah um and i think the kids were um a little bit easier to encourage to do the mask rather than the adults. Not to say that yeah, you know, yeah. they were, they were hella dismissive, the adults, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They definitely, you know, Asbury, so. yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Asbury yeah. park. Yeah. There's oh, definitely a guy dismissive. just no mask on, just like talking Ooh. to me so aggressively. He was spitting on the side of my face and I was just like, I'm too polite to say stop. So I just had the conversation, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was fine. Just, you know, we're living in an unprecedented time and it's like, dude, doing one of our first tours back, it's just going to be weird until it's not. I, yeah, I hope. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hopefully those days come, although who knows, knock wood or whatever is. Not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about, let's talk about the new album, obviously the great American novel. If it were it in yet, I would be like a, like a talk show host and hold it up. I like uh-huh. I'm able to do that. I can pretend yeah. Conan or Letterman or some shit. But uh, <laughs> when did the writing pro- did the writing process for that album come during lockdown, essentially, or were these or were there stems and writing that was done beforehand? Uh, it was definitely in lockdown. Uh, so we had done those four Lucy singles, and then I think we started talking to labels. What in was that summer twenty nine twenty? I think we maybe even earlier. I, I don't know, man. It was uh, earlier because we were writing it. I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. The last two years. I'm not even going to try and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. during this smart. time. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, know I, I don't a know. long time to between recording and releasing. Yeah. But it was more so like, I just don't really like to write unless like I'm backed up against the wall. Like, yo, we need something. So I know I sent, I think the first song was, was you good. The very first track. And I, you know, sent Tosh and Eli that. And then I think the label's like, okay, cool. Like when would you want to get in the studio? And then we just kind of banged it all up, banged it all out in like three weeks in November of 2020. Uh, we kind of just like, if we're going to write, let's just do it all in one go type yeah. thing. Did you write all together? I mean, I know you said you sent them the first track, but from there on, did you write all together or how does that sort of process work? And was it different with this record because everybody was kind of at home? Well, it was different because Elijah up and moved with like a month's notice. <laughs> so what did we do? Like you. We wrote it. We were actually more collaborative with this record than yeah. any of the other ones. Yeah. But we definitely had like a stretch for like, I think Tosh was on vacation. So me and Eli for the first like, what, four days we were in this practice space just doing like a song or two a day, getting the bare bones of it figured out, right? And then like Tosh got back and then we hammered out like Red, White and Blue. Um, I think I had showed you, I still hadn't Milk had Ganymede figured out, but yeah, Milk and Honey. Um, a lot of them, majority of the songs. 
Yeah. Like so a handful. Yeah. There's so actually like the irony is like we're in lockdown, but this is the most collaborative writing process we yeah, had yeah, yeah. for an album. Um, and it literally it's just like I, you know, got garage band in a, in a shitty little like interface and started demoing stuff out. And we were like, Eli's leaving. We, not, we need to figure out the brunt of it. So I feel like we got like what, 11 of the 15 songs figured out? And then, yeah, Eli had left. And then I kind of like, I was like, all right, we got this, then I piece it together with Garage Band. And like the last four, I was like, here's this song, like the usual way we used to do it. Where did you move to, Eli? Um, so first I was in Denver and now I'm in Washington State. So I oh, hope damn. to never move again for the rest <laughs> of my life. <laughs> yeah. You moved across country and then further across country during a quarantine. I, you know, you know, it's yeah, it was uh, the things you do for love. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Uh, <laughs> well, you're and you're from where Texas originally or something, too, right? Yeah. El Paso. Yeah. Did you move to New York for love as well or for love of music or for not wanting to be in Texas anymore? For the love of the game, baby. Love the game. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I, I moved I moved there when did I moved there back in what, 2016, right? That's when we met, Eric? Or was it 2017? Uh, I moved to 2015. So yeah, I think you were a year after me, 2016. Because then the album came out 2017. So yeah, yeah. 2016. So I had moved there just for work. Um, I'm a journalist. Um, that's like the full-time gig. Right. And um, when I had, when I was about to move, uh, Eric's, is Mila your uh, partner now? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um she was like, hey, um, your cousin, who his name is Ahmad, he's also a drummer. He was like, your cousin told me that you drum. Can I put you in touch with my friend at the time, Eric? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, um, she was like, he's looking for a drummer. And I was like, cool. So we linked up. Um, we used to go to like a practice space where we had to pay like 25 an hour. Oh yeah. <laughs> Birmingham. Yeah. I'll never forget about that. Three hour minimum, by the way. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah from there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned that uh, the collaboration was actually better during quarantine, even though we're all theoretically locked down. Mm. That's been sort of a recurring theme. So I think people have been using that as a as a way to actually stay connected with each other. Um, and I the last the last episode of the show was Jason from Hot Water Music, and they nice. had they had written yeah the, they're like my favorite band of all time one of my favorite <laughs> bands from all time hell yeah uh, and and that so they had gotten into this cycle where there was always a reason not to be writing music like there was <laughs> a, like there's always anything else to do and tours and real life and kids and da 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 da. Yeah. So they decided to hire a producer on this record, the one that's coming out this week. And he sort of, he organized basically this, like they had weekly zoom meetings and then they would do breakout oh. sessions where they had to write and then come back to each other and play <clears> them <throat> their songs. And it sort of like forced them to stay connected, but also forced them to stay creative and actually write, which I, to me is like, you know, if we're going to be, in zoom uh purgatory for however long <laughs> that's a pretty good way to use it you know <laughs> yeah i actually don't mind zoom i like you know I'm, i was never an in the office kind of person so zoom is really i love this shit 
Yeah, you know what? So do I. And a lot of people that I work with hate it because they would rather either talk on the phone or be in person. But I would rather not talk on the phone or be in person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, feel that hard. But I feel like this, uh, like I've done most of the interviews that I've done over the years have been over the phone. Sometimes, you know, you meet with somebody backstage in a green room or whatever. But most of the time it's been over the phone and it can be a challenge to actually, especially if you have somebody that can talk, it can be a challenge to have to pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> like my ADD is wild sometimes. <laughs> so if somebody's telling a story, then I have to remember that, oh, I'm actually interviewing this person. We're not just shooting the shit. Yeah. Uh, so that like Zoom helps me focus and, you know, uh, yeah. Wear this pants. has been a paid advertisement for Zoom brought to you by Tom Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, if they want to, if anybody wants to throw money at us. Yeah. Um, um, I, I feel like, like Proper is exactly one of the bands. I'm glad, as I've mentioned, we're sort of rebuilding the site finally. Mm-hmm. And we're sort of <laughs> trying to change the direction of it a little bit. And I feel like Proper is one of those bands that is sort of more along the lines of what we need to be covering. Like we've covered, we've covered, uh, we've covered guys that look like me for a long time. You know what I'm saying? Like we've covered, like there's plenty of skate punk bands out there from the nineties. And I like a lot of them, less of them than I used to. Uh, But, but like there's plenty of that. And what we need to be doing is focusing on bands uh, like proper. So, so, and I will say I was actually, Part of the website is still working. Uh, so I don't think, I think it crashed before y'all changed your name, but there was at least like an album review and maybe an old email interview uh, oh. in the, from the great, great white years. So I was yeah. like, oh, wow. I, I'm Thank happy you. to see that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, we got it right a little bit there. The longevity. Yeah. Thank you. For that. <laughs> um, when you're writing collaboratively like that, whether it was, were you in person when you were writing? Like you said, would you get together at a practice space or was it a lot of trading files and stuff like that? Because I'm fascinated by how this process works. I would say it was mostly in person, right? Yeah, it was in person. We kind of hammered it out because we only had Elijah for a little bit. So all the in-person stuff we could get just kind of. Yeah, it felt like two distinct writing sessions, like the, the instrumentals we knocked out as a group. And then I was just like lyrics on my own. And then like some things I would change to fit the lyrics, uh, like, you know, little like beats here and there that could like syncopate the word that could. I don't know if that's the word. No, it sounds word? Like, like a good word. <laughs> like that that part on word to word, it's like the three hits where I'm like, no culture, no place, no land to call my own. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because originally it was just played straight through. They're just like, what if I emphasize that part? So that, then I would send it back to them and be like, do you like this little, you know, twill, whatever, change? And then kind of we just locked it in. And then it was kind of like in the studio uh, working with Bartiz, he would kind of be like, what if we changed up, like on Ganymede, it was just going to be the same strumming pattern for all three verses. It was like, you noticed Eli was doing a different kick pattern for each verse. So it was like, what if we kind of made it syncopate with that? So it's kind of like the in-person instrumental sessions, the lyric sessions, and then the, in the studio, like on the fly changes were kind of the three distinct moments of writing. Where did Bartiz come into the process? He's, he's another fascinating, uh, he's a fascinating and I think brilliant musician that is another one of those people that everybody should know about. Yeah. yeah, and I was. Oh, they will. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they already know. They will, boy. Yeah, I it was. He's, it he's was fairly yeah. late in the process that I was introduced to Bartiz. I think through I. I think a mutual 
acquaintance of ours. He, I don't know if he produced or he appeared on an album that a friend of mine put out during quarantine as well. And I think they were connected through agents or managers or something like that. And it was another one of these situations where I'm like, I thought I knew all of the cool bands and all of the cool people. <laughs> How did I not know this guy before? Yeah. How did he uh, come into the fold? We know Bart for a while, right? Yeah. Since he in Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. Like Since 25 days. Yeah. 20, I think our first show was because I met my friend Jackson, took me to Bart's. Uh, like Scram's band's show. So like we knew since before Proper was playing shows, we knew that whole crowd. And we finally got like the budget we wanted. And I think, I think there wasn't that much deliberation. I was like, y'all want to record with Bart? And y'all were both just like, yeah. <laughs> you know, as it tends to be, it's just like, y'all want to do this? And they're just like, yeah, sure, why not? And then I think I I texted him and then like he pulled over his car on the side of the highway. He was like, bro, I am so in. Uh, this yes. was before, before his record had even come out. Had yeah, came yeah, yeah. Out. He was just like, yeah, this is the biggest project out. And then, you know, look at Bart now. But he was just yeah. like, I'm so down. What do you need? What's the budget so we can make it work? And he was just like, from the get-go, just like, yeah, man, send me the demos. We got to the studio. Remember, he had like a little notepad with every, notes on oh, every yeah. song, uh, things that he could add or like little thoughts that he had. And then kind of like, from the jump, he was just like foot on the gas, ready to go. So he was obviously familiar with you, but he hadn't heard any of like the demos or anything like that for this project. It was just like, as soon as you, he knew you wanted to record with him, he was like, yes, let's do it. I think so. Yeah. Cause I think we had that conversation and then we finished the demos and then I sent them to him. So without even hearing a song, he was like, yeah, that's gotta be a pretty awesome feeling. I mean, yeah. it, it, like a pretty validating feeling, right? Like, to know that somebody that's that's that talented gets it. Yeah, that tends to be like how we tend to operate is like work with people that we think actually believe in us. And, you know, yeah, yeah. a lot of it's like there are a lot of business relationships like, oh, we can make each other a lot of money or, oh, we can get each other the next step. But like people like Bart, it's like this record sounds as good because he's, you know, he's been fucking with us since our very first album. And he's we've been playing shows with him since our very first album. And, you know, he's just like, yeah, I, I've seen what y'all have been doing. I, I'm, I'm in. Do you feel like that, that's there's i feel like maybe i should say i feel like we're at this sort of moment maybe it's coming out of quarantine maybe it's coming out of the last four or five years of whatever but where it seems like the trajectory of what we call punk rock is sort of changing a little bit i mean i think it's broader now than it ever has been but it's a lot less uh it's a lot less people like me frankly yeah (laughs) it's a good thing but but does that seem that way as well like from the other side I mean, yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I don't know, like Eli, you're the journalist. Like, I feel like <laughs> you you see the trends pretty fucking early on. Like, I feel like rock has been getting less like gatekeeped for a while, right? Like, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, you know, just with like social media, it's become a lot more democratized. And then I mean, you know, um, I think just amid, you know, I think we're seeing the trickle effect of things like Black Lives Matter and like George Floyd's death kind of being this galvanizing for what, whatever reason, the kind of galvanizing point where like everyone is like, all right, like, you know, let's make sure this kind of awareness is just extending beyond like the political sphere and maybe like on a cultural level to where there's just this want for more, you know, awareness and like, uh, 
a, like a real vigilance to like find those bands. Like, I don't know. It, it was mind blowing to me when Circus Survive announced their tour and Soul Glow was on it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was like, that's fucking weird, but also <laughs> cool, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, um, when the armed first announced their like solo shows, there's this uh, basically like, somewhat grindcore metalcore all black band called zulu out of la mm, and yeah. they're supposed to open it with show me the body and zulu's been getting all these like really interesting placements so it's yeah. cool because at first i was a little like you know i think it, i don't know it's interesting because i mean i think uh, on, on a larger scale obviously you know like willow smith played a part in this of but course, it's yeah. kind of cool to see how that kind of i don't know i like to think that that indirectly led to a trickle effect on a very like DIY level where it is like groups like soul glow or like Zulu um, bugging out of Chicago, um, you know? And I mean, even like beyond that, like, even if like they're not an all black band, but there's just like POC yeah, yeah. groups coming yeah. out or just like, you know, members of color in these like, you know, predominantly white groups, you know, like the armed having like a phenomenal black drummer, um you know that awareness is happening just on like all these levels which is like a really uh beautiful thing to see throughout not just yeah. punk but all like alternative rock subgenres. yeah or for me it's uh turnstile which yeah. i can't believe yeah. they're doing the things they're doing yeah. and uh what's old boy's name um god damn i can't remember his name but yeah it's just like having a black person in hardcore and seeing them on late night and that's yeah, gonna yeah, be have yeah. so many black kids are gonna be like wow black people play this music and i can do that why don't I do that? Let's yeah, start a band. Yeah. Like it's it's been insane to see. Or Soul Glow opening for My Chemical Romance now also. Oh yeah, like, yeah. It went from oh, like Circus Survive exactly. to My Chemical Romance and being like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude, it's it's a very beautiful thing to see. And like, <clears throat> yeah, I'm I'm really excited for. It. I mean, even if like we think I'm more of like the softer end of things, like Vagabond, you know, yeah. just like there's all this diversity, you know, and. Um, Hopefully it just inspires the youth to, you know, I, I don't know. I like to think I'm, you know, I don't, I don't give a fuck if like a person is like, I prefer more like electronic instruments, but yeah. I have an old head in that sense of like, pick up a guitar, pick up a guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. No, like there, there's a beauty to that, to both realms, but I think, yeah. you know, having developed with more like acoustic instruments, I'm like, go for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that hard. Yeah. I think that sort of what you said about social media allowing uh, more voices and, and viewpoints to be out there has been, I, it's been a blessing and a curse, I think, because I think there's still uh, a lot of places that there's so much information now. There's so many, it's theoretically so easy for so many bands to make music, right? Mm -hmm. e even, even if you're just doing it electronically and not, uh, and not with live instrumentation. Uh, and to put it up on SoundCloud and put it up on Bandcamp and anybody can have a band and be an artist that way. But then the gatekeepers are still uh, white guys for the most part. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it can be sort of a blessing and a curse. It can be easier to get your music out there, but there's still only a few funnels that a lot of that information goes to for people to mm -hmm. get their music. So that's the part that I think to me seems the best about that uh, might be changing a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, that's, I think that's what I meant in terms of just like this, like vigilance, you yeah, know, yeah. yeah, like just being like, you know, 
really kind of digging and trying to like find these like groups and stuff, you know, because I mean, it's not like, you know, Soul, Soul Glow and I'm sure like Zulu, all these like groups that we've mentioned, like I've definitely been putting in the work. But, you know, it definitely I'm I'm sure it took somebody kind of digging in the trenches or like word of mouth just being like, you need to, you know, invest in these guys and give them a shot, give them a chance, mm-hmm. you know, to where it's like, I just hope that vigilance continues, you know. Yeah. yeah, I hope that it's not tokenism on the on the large part, because I know that that was a thing for like after George Floyd was uh, murdered. Uh, there were a lot of people, A, that said that they were going to take a break from doing the sort of media thing, which I guess was good. But then it was like everybody wanted to have their black friend on the show. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> and so that kind of got like, uh, I don't think this is good. Like, that's not the point, guys. <laughs> At least from people, uh, from people like where I was sitting. Was like, that's mm-hmm. not... Uh, that's not maybe the right idea guys <laughs> yeah it, yeah i feel it. definitely like there's stuff like Bandcamp friday like you feel like we got so much engagement from Bandcamp friday it's like that sucks on a level because it feels like unearned but then it's just like but we deserve to have that engagement it's like a weird feeling of a mix-up of both where it's just like yeah bands bands that i looked up to so hard only heard of us through the Bandcamp friday stuff and then it's just like damn I wish we had like grinded and met them the right way, but it's just like, nah, we deserve that. Well, and frankly, you know what? The right, that is the right way nowadays, really, I guess. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, or, or I guess what is the right way, especially when we're in a two year uh, societal collapse or, or really a four year, five year societal collapse, whatever it's been. Uh, 30 year run of collapse. Yeah. 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 When, when was Reagan? That was. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. I've got a, I've my kid is a teenager now and she's sort of on the like boy Reagan fucked the kids didn't he and like, wow. <laughs> like yeah I was one of those kids and yeah we were saying that so now there's another whole generation but I'm glad that uh she sort of gets it this let's talk a little <laughs> bit more about uh, the great american novel as i said the album will definitely melt some people's faces off if there are people who uh who are familiar with the first album this album just goes harder if that makes sense. I don't know if that's an accurate way to explain it or not, but like the, the, the sort of dynamics are, are bigger and bolder and the sort of quiet to loud to quiet to loud thing is more, uh, is more evident. And what was sort of the goal writing this album? Was it to sort of do things bigger or like what, what did the plan look like? Yeah. Yeah, It was just to be insane. I think. Uh, (laughs) Right. That's a good word for it. Yeah, it was an insane time. We, we we got the budget that we've always hoped for, at least in my eyes. And uh, I was just like, why not just go for it? Uh, I showed Eli some some old demos from when I was like 19. And it was just really heavy shit. They were, the songs that would become McConnell and... Mm, uh, what was the other song? That song Shuck Shreds. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so McConnell and Shuck and Jive. And it was really just like, I want to just go insane zero to a hundred. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember Eli made this joke. Like I was, we were fucking around with something. He's like, Oh, that'll be when we get in our experimental phase. Like um, <laughs> sometimes during LP two. And I was just like, it's here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we just, I was just like, let's just see how insane we can get. I've actually been practicing cause I'm in quarantine. I have nothing else to do. And it was just instrumentally, I think definitely was just taking it there and doing a complete left turn from what we had previously done was my goal. I think. 
It's funny you mentioned those two songs because I, I tend to, when I listen to an album for the first time, for these purposes, if it's somebody I either know I'm going to review the album or talk to them, I make notes. And those two songs, uh, specifically, if you could see my notebook, uh, this, yeah. uh, this intro fucking shreds uh, on both of those songs. <laughs> yeah. So but you have yeah. more of like a like a prog metal background or something like that, don't you? Yeah, so the bands that I came up with were uh, Cody and Cambria, At the Drive-In, Three, like all those like proggy, weird, but still like you'd think it'd be on the radio, at least in that time in, you know, radio history. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I just, I got really good. I learned a sweet pick and I realized I was never, ever going to use it. And then 12 <laughs> years went by and now I finally get to use it. And also just, we just have this joke that is also true that Elijah's the best musician in this, in this group. And mm -hmm. I just really want to just make him sweat. So this whole album, <laughs> this album was our attempt to do that. I don't think he really sweated, except for like in the studio when we were doing um, Juvie, I think Eli had to actually take a break finally for once, but it's not <laughs> enough. And that, that was really the, my petty goal really was like, let's just really push everyone to their limit and see how far it can go. Yeah. How long have I you mean, been playing, playing for Elijah? Uh, I'm 30 now. I think I started when I was 13. So what, 17? almost 17 years yeah 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 <laughs> do you consider yourself the best musician i i know it's probably a too humble thing but do you consider yourself the best musician in the group because i uh, all three it. of you all Yo, three of you fucking yeah, we, we've never asked you if you think you're the best me and tosh just say it yeah. I, then you know what that, that's two that's two against one so <laughs> you know, yeah majority rule yeah no but I, I'm, I'm yeah no i mean i'm always like you know same thing with eric just grew up the cool thing for me drummer wise for this album was i was just able to channel a lot of like the weird mathy prog shit i listened to as a teenager so like lamar's volta at the drive-in tara Mello's um <laughs> just a bunch of just like on the like proggy weird side of things but just like grounding it where it like fits for us which was yeah. really cool yeah I feel, I feel like i have the realization sorry go, go for it Tom. I, I for one do not have a prog metal <laughs> background. i'm a i'm a pop punk girl so this yeah, shit yeah. is hard as fuck yeah, <laughs> I had the realization that we've been playing our perspective instruments for like 17, 18 and 20 years, respectively. And I was just like, let's just really just test ourselves. Uh, Tosh like really came for like, I feel like Tosh I is may the MVP of this record. One point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her not having a prog background or like that drony part, that drony part in Juvie. I feel like Juvie was the one that was like pretty challenging yeah. for everyone. I was like, forget that. And yeah. then they're like, listen to Mars Volta. I'm like, no. And they're like, <laughs> and they're like yes. <laughs> okay, let's do this. So they had to make a, um, you know, a list, a music band list, whatever. Of Playlist. Playlist. Yeah. That's inspiration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just like, okay, we'll listen to this. I hate all of this, but like, it's really just because it's hard for me. I mean, I'm a bubblegum, like pop punk girl, like Ramones is my favorite band of all time. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to fake it. <laughs> fake all of this. But and she's faked it so well that, that my favorite parts tend to be the bass parts on any given song. So it's like, <laughs> like we challenged ourselves and, and we cried. I definitely was just like, why did I write this for so many times? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just like, but like it came out, like I had the fear where it's just like, it's not going to, it's not going to translate well. We don't have a big enough budget as I thought. And I'd be freaking out and hyperventilating, like, no, trust the process. And like, I think we definitely all like, once it, we channeled in, 
what this album's going to sound like. I think we really took it, you know, and it, and it paid off, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as somebody, and I sort of have to back up what you just said, Eric, as somebody who grew up wanting to be a bass player, but then like I have a little brother and he actually became a bass player and mm-hmm. is a music teacher and shit like that. So he actually got good. And I was like, well, we can't have two bass players in the same family because yeah. <laughs> doesn't, that doesn't, that, that that doesn't yeah, we can't just both jam on our yeah. old Ibanezes together. Um, so, so I switched to guitar, but I've always, I always grew up wanting to be a bass player. And so that's always what I'm sort of drawn to is the rhythm in a song. And so even though I'm a shitty guitar player, like I always wish that I, played bass or drums because I'm always drawn to the rhythm. And I will say that uh, I was sort of drawn to that side of it as well. I don't have a, I shouldn't say I don't have a prog metal background. I don't have like a nineties, early two thousands prog metal background. I have like, uh-huh. a, like a rush prog metal background. Okay. So, like, like dream theater and rush and, and all that quite, shit. quite literally just rush. Oh, okay. Like somebody band. tried to play True. dream theater uh, for me once. And I was like, well, these guys are just trying to be Rush, and because like Rush <laughs> oh, was my Rush my my focal point, but they oh god okay, I don't I don't know from that. I knew that Rush was like this amazing band, and so that if you were sort of prog and in an amazing band, you must have been trying to be Rush. That was my yeah. frame of reference. That's as, that's fair. Rush as, is really they're the coheed of the, of the eighties for sure, where it's just like you can do this weird shit and you can still be on the radio. I know I'm a bad night, I think. So that, I, that fully makes sense. I feel like they they uh, they made that possible, right? Like, yeah. Oh, you absolutely. Can, you can have synthesizers in like 11, 9 time and shit like that and be played <laughs> on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> I was sure. just like watching a live video of XYZ and I think they're playing it in an, in an arena. And I was like, that's so fire that yeah. it's like weird ass proggy band at their height was playing arena like stadium venues there are if you not to get not to talk about rush for an hour although i will uh (laughs) there are videos they played they played in rio Mm -hmm. i think it's called russian rio or something like that it was a dvd that came out i don't know probably 20 years ago at this point and i I forget that I forget how many tens of thousands of people they're playing for, but that song YYZ obviously is a instrumental song and the crowd is singing along, but the song, the song is instrumental and it is wild. Yeah. Like a hundred thousand people singing along to a song that doesn't have words. But that's so, but that riff though is like so (laughs) melodically great too. Yeah. I'm just like, when like just hearing it, I'm just like, that's such a, yeah, to where like your riff can be like a basically a vocal part is insane, yeah. but also that it's like slightly complex too. I'm like, that's so sick. Yeah, they just ticked all the boxes. They got vocalist that's playing bass at the same time. They would do the weird shit like the washing machines on stage. That was awesome. just their whole backdrop. Like they just it was, they ticked all. You know, they do it right. It was rotisserie chickens for a while. They had, <laughs> yeah, like that would be the catering is they would just make rotisserie chickens instead because he played straight in. Yeah, that yeah. song. It's just uh, it's just Morse code. That's all yeah. that that beat. Mm-hmm. To, which to me, like, I think I had been a fan of theirs for twenty years before I actually heard the explanation for what that yeah that uh, beat that rhythm was. I was like, holy shit! Like, yeah. What a bunch of dorks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the shit I love. Facts. Like lore and little like Easter eggs and stuff like that. That's yeah. Huge influence. Oh, absolutely. So so uh, that's that's a, another way of uh, patting Natasha on the back because 
that's those are the parts that I was sort of drawn to on this album because I can't yeah. do all the technical guitar shit. Like <laughs> I, I want to be able to, you know, but I yeah. don't understand the physics behind it. As somebody who played guitar <laughs> for 25 years, I can't make my fingers do that. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps I should have been practicing during quarantine or or that's, ever. That's the ticket. Yeah. yeah Just or, quarantine, never ever else. How did you how did you land on those uh influences i i as somebody who missed the entire like i don't even know what wave that was the coheed and cambria and that whole thing yeah. as somebody who missed that whole wave entirely because i was off elsewhere in my musical journey at that time yeah how, how did you how did you come to that oh god how, i don't know you do you know how you did because i had to think about it because i was like nine so i really had to remember oh wow and so Good. it was music that appealed to you, although I guess Rush appealed to me at nine. So I yeah. guess that makes sense. Yeah. Because I'm like a decade me, older. Yeah. <laughs> my dad gave me a Megadeth CD and I think like I picked up a guitar. But as far as getting into Prague, though, I had to really think about it. Um, Which Megadeth CD? Oh, God. Um, high, high Speed Dirt is on it. Um, Countdown to Extinction. With Symphony of Destruction. Yeah, yeah. But like then, you know, I, I didn't really start playing guitar for like a few more years I think I was just, I was, I lived in Alaska for me. So I was at the mall and I saw a relationship of command CD. I was like, this looks cool. And then it just like exploded. And then, you know, LimeWire was big. And then Coheed's Favorite House Atlanta came out and it was all over MTV. And it kind of just snowballed from there. What about you, Eli? Um, I mean, so my introduction to Prague was like through At The Drive-In, At The Drive-In being from El Paso. By the time I got in at the drive-in, it was like, oh, bro, they've been broken up for years. <laughs> but they have these two other bands. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'll get into both. But I just, um, being a drummer, um, and Tony Hajar is a great drummer, but I mean, Volta drummers just, I just gravitated to because I was that asshole kid who's just like, oh, the harder the better, even though I'll never Same. learn how to play it. Same. Um, <laughs> and like, all, all of my friends, you know, closest friends till till this day, a majority of them are drummers. So it was always just us trying to find like the most obscure, most difficult drumming. And so from there, it was like, like I said, just a bunch of math rock, like Terramelos, Don Caballero, um, just stuff like that. And then the harder stuff was like through my cousin JL, because he plays in a grindcore band in El Paso. And um, was there a big scene in El Paso? Uh, I, I would say so. I actually just learned on uh, our Wonder Years tour, <laughs> they played in a DIY spot that used to exist called the Naylair, which was this dude, Nene. He would just have house shows <laughs> in his Oh, the Naylair. Okay. Yeah. 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 And Dan was like, no, it was his drummer. And he was like, wait, you're from oh, El Paso, right? Yeah. yeah, Kennedy. And Kennedy was like, he was like, did you ever hear of a place called the Naylair? And I was like, yeah, dude, like that was like, uh, you know, if you couldn't get a show at any of the venues, um, which was actually really tough to do back during that time. Uh, if you were like a hardcore grindcore group, you would either do the Naylair. There was a DIY spot literally called the spot, but the main one was called this bar called chicks. Um, and that's like where I just like learned about like, basically all like the hardcore brutal bands at that time oceano <laughs> yeah or, oh wow wow i forgot about both like of you. them oh my god <laughs> yeah man you know um yeah. but even then like uh 
you know, just bands kind of on the sidelines of that, like Foxy Shazam, all these groups yeah, that yeah, had, yeah, yeah. are heavy, heavy, low, low, just all yeah. these weird math core ish kind of groups. Um, and yeah, through that is kind of how I just discovered a lot of things um, from McConnell in particular, that kind of like blast beat part that I do when it goes from like really quiet to loud. I took from um, uh, a reference from this band called Circle Takes the Square. And okay. they used to do a lot of stuff where it was like very blasty, but then it would get like soft, like out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So that was that that was all like my introduction. See, to me, that's a Pixies thing. I mean, it's not. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, and, and I mean, I'm I'm like grounded in Dave Grawl drumming. Like yeah, that's okay, the yeah, foundation. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of things, it's funny, like, where Eric doesn't have the context of 90s alt, I think that's where I come in because <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm always, that's the song structure I grew up on. Very Same, Dave yeah, Grawl, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy Chamberlain, Smashing Pumpkins, yeah. you know, to where it's just like, I'm always thinking in that element of like soft, loud, soft, loud. Yeah, yeah. it's, you know, it's just, yeah. The, those to me were like the pinnacle examples of that shit. And of course, <laughs> the, you know. the, the pump. The, the pumpkins became sort of like a, a joke because of uh, Billy Corgan or whatever, because of, like he, <clears throat> Billy Corgan likes Billy Corgan more than anybody else <laughs> likes anybody. Oh but yeah. those those first handful of pumpkins records are awesome for that, especially. I'm just like man, like it. It's uh, it's yeah to see like kind of what he's become, but it's just like God. Some 1979 is a perfect pop song. It's a perfect. Oh, absolutely. Pop song. You know, and then just like Chiro Brock, you know, and I think for me, the cool thing, and you know, to kind of bring it back to representation, even on that scale, having James Eha as a guitarist. Yeah, yeah, right. I just remember being like, what? Like, you know, like, you know, this dude Who's is this in guy this on the cover of Guitar World. Yeah. yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, this is awesome. You know, so yeah, like that, especially, yeah, like along with the harder stuff there's always that kind of nineties foundation in the background too. Yeah. Tosh, I realized I've never asked you, did you ever even give prog music a shot in your yesteryears or you just said, nah. You know what? Deadass, we've been talking about prog music right now. I don't know what it is. I'm so sorry. (laughs) None of these bands are sounding familiar. No. I mean, I heard of pumpkins. I'm sure that's not prog. I don't think. Uh, Yeah. I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> no, I just realized that, like I've never I, even asked. Like, did you even have a band you were like that you tried out and you were like, fuck that? I listened to a lot of screamo. Okay, I mean, no. Okay, <laughs> that's as close as put that gets. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, another yeah. thing I missed entirely. Like screamo, I felt like I was a little too. I remember there was one specific warp tour. I think where it kind of where the, like the needle shifted from being the sort of classic skate punk alternative punk thing to being more screamo and i was oh, like wow yeah. i feel like i'm too old for this i was 22 <laughs> or whatever but i was like oh, wow, yeah same i feel yeah. like i'm too old for this now yeah. <laughs> and then that's that's what obviously warp tour became but what what was your entry to punk rock tasha i know you said ramon's your favorite band ever as well they should be uh yeah. <laughs> i have a lot of intros like i listened to a lot of oi as well a lot of street punk i listened to a lot of hardcore as well and Where, did you grow up in new york city no i grew up in uh delaware okay. to wrecking crew can't you tell from her delaware accent okay you need to stop right now <laughs> that's all you're I'm in the public 
Anyway, I, is there a Delaware accent? I don't know. What I, I don't know say, from that. We don't have to continue with this. <laughs> uh, no comment. No comment. I don't. I don't want to be rude. Boy, the record. Oh my god! All right, where's the exit button? I'm done. <laughs> Sorry. Continue, Tosh. Continue your your very thoughtful answer that I'm interrupting. Go for it. Thank you. <laughs> so I was heavily in my local scene, like in Delaware and <clears throat> Westchester, PA. We have like this certain very specific sound. Like when it comes to Westchester, like you plow united, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of that nature, yeah, Fair, that's what band. I was very much, very much into. Explosive Kate, bands like that, um, was my introduction. Like, even <laughs> we talk about Ramones, I used to one of the very first shows I went to was like MXPX. My sister brought me to it down in Newark, Delaware. I was also heavily into ska, which is um, yeah. Eric's favorite genre as well. Mm-hmm. So, I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I saw like my, my boss tunes was one of the first bands I saw when I was 11 years old. Sure. Yeah. Western one of my very first punk rock shows as well was Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. I, I'm from Southern New Hampshire. So I mean, Word. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones played everywhere. Like I grew up an hour north of Boston, maybe. So through the early and mid 90s, the Boss Tones played everywhere all the time. Yes. You couldn't Dropkick get away Murphy's. from it. But Let's like original Dropkick, like oh yeah, the good when stuff. they were a four-piece street punk band, not like bad. This is the shit that goes over my head. I have no <laughs> idea what y'all are talking about. Ducky yeah, yeah, yeah. Boys. Let's get into it. Ducky Boys. Markland. Good is that a band boys. name? Ducky yeah. Boys. The Ducky yeah. Boys. This is nineties, probably. This <laughs> is exactly uh, yeah. mid nineties. Yeah. Of yeah. all this time. Like but, when yeah, Dropkick into Manson, you know, like. The first three albums before they got Scott, with that, that kind of was weird for me, but I get it. Um, <laughs> the yeah, weird, so that's kind of my background. I feel like the weird part was Tim Armstrong or Lars, really. And I sort of friendly with Lars, but the weird part is like, I don't know, trying to do the Jamaican patois thing, but you're like a white, <laughs> you're a white guy from Berkeley. Oh, it's god, like, I remember uh, that. Is that a thing that happened? Are you serious? It literally happened on record. And what yeah. year of our Lord did this happen? I don't Let's... know, but I think that's what I checked out. Go 99, probably. Okay, it's a pass. It's it like YTK. For most things. It's, <laughs> you know? it's like with 311. Like 311 were a band from Omaha, Nebraska, and they <laughs> tried to sing with that, like. A Jamaican patois thing, and it's uh, how people let them that. get away with that and become a massive, massive band. I don't, man. It was a time. It was '95. Was a different time. It was a time. <laughs> it was a time, bro. I mean, you know that sublime. But for Sublime's me personally, all that like kind of slaps. Like I don't know. Oh, there's sublime. like, I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna don't commit, tell my dad. commit, commit it, Sometimes it goes over. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I had never even thought of the 311 thing. And then somewhat recently, there's like a, a radio station up here where one of the guys was ragging on them for being from Omaha. But like, how did anybody let them get away with <laughs> singing like that? And mind you, and this is Boston. So we, you know, <clears throat> say what you will. Uh, but he, even he was like, how did they let them get away with that? And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> That's like. We're all super, complicit. Super cringeworthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you missed that whole 90s punk rock street. Th- uh, I, I miss it. I mean, that was my formative years. So, like, it's 
instilled deeply, way too deep within me, and I can't shake it. Just same <laughs> here. I try. Yeah. But um, yeah. Those those. <clears throat> I try to introduce my kid because my kid is now the age that I was when I got into a lot of that sort of street punk stuff, and she's like, she'll she'll listen to some of my music, but then there there are definitely lines that she draws. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Although I will say, I, w- I was listening to uh, to the Great American Novel the other day, and I forget what song came on. I think it was Milk and Honey. The video for Milk mm-hmm. and Honey came on, and she was like, "Oh, Dad, what's that? That's a oh. really pre- that's a really pretty song." Yes, I was like, "Oh, oh yeah, come here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let let me teach you something. <laughs> Actually, yeah. no, let them teach us something. I don't. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I don't want to end up getting." Thanks cut off again this has been a lot of fun i hope that people if they haven't pre-ordered great american novel already it's out what sometime theoretically soon the i know i think I nine know, days left i know that uh release dates especially with physical copies are a bit of a moving target yeah <laughs> thanks to adele but um <laughs> like everybody has blamed her and i'm fine with that that's fine uh, i had no idea okay no because yeah i Part of the reason that record plants got so backed up last year is Adele demanding oh. like 500,000 copies of that last album on release date or whatever. So that wow. just sort of ground everything to a halt. And oh, okay. It, it's true of all the other, like the record store day stuff that yeah. people do and reissues and whatever, but, but huh. everybody seems to be fine blaming Adele. And she's, yeah, I mean, who's going to tell her? No, not me. She's <laughs> rich. She can. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, is that the physical date for the vinyl as well as the 25th or is that some? Uh, no, no. I think late, <laughs> April. <laughs> late April, I think luckily, like we recorded this shit 13 months ago. So we were pretty early to get our vinyl. Like, order oh, OK, so we didn't get pushed back on vinyl at all. They were just like, let's do like a staggered approach where it's like, you know, two two releases. Um, it's better than one. You know, it's better to roll two 12 sided dies than one, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what's next? You guys are on tour very, very soon, aren't you? Overseas. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to believe it to a step foot on British soil, but this is, the, <laughs> this is the tour that we were supposed to do when COVID shut it down. So finally, our headlining tour in UK and Europe, and then Pooza Fest, and then, oh, well, things we're not allowed to talk about yet, but thanks. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks to all three of you for doing this. Everybody uh, pre-order Great American Novel. I'll put links in all of the descriptions and whatever, where people can watch the videos and yeah. order the new album and listen to the old album and, and follow you guys on tour because everybody should, because uh, really this is the stuff we need to be listening to and championing because you. you're, like I said, a band that I, when I first heard you, I said, holy shit, that's nothing yeah. like I've ever heard, except that it's all of the influences that I love and it's perfect. So thank uh, you. Let me, let me stop recording. Make sure